helping us all understand how we can make an environmental difference. This is KCLR's Ecological with Brian Redmond. Good evening, very welcome along to this evening's edition of Ecological. 15 minutes past 6 o'clock. Thanks to Donald Doyle for the 6 o'clock news. We have a fabulous show lined up for you this evening. Um, it's all farming this week. There are 135,000 farms in Ireland, according to the census of 2020, and recently published government agri-food strategy of 2030 wants the sector to become more carbon neutral by 2050, proposing the expansion of tillage, organic production, horticulture and forestry in a bid to meet our climate commitments. With every farm decision now under the microscope in terms of its implications for the environment, this week on Ecological, we're turning the focus to how farm diversification can contribute to sustainability. In a couple of moments' time, we'll be talking to Barry Castlin, Energy and Rural Development Specialist with Chagist. A little bit later on, we will be joined by two people who are in the making, doing exactly what needs to be done. Rod and Julie Calder Potts of High Bank Organic Farm in Kilkenny and Ambassadors for Farming for Nature will be joining us to tell us all about they do on their farm. And of course, with the farm show coming up after seven, Matt O'Keefe, presenter of Casey Laura's Farm Show, will be popping in a little bit early to give us his take on what the farming community has to do in order to meet their bits in terms of doing more for the environment. This is Ecological on KCLR with Brian Redmond. Now, a few moments ago, I mentioned we were going to kick the show off by talking to Energy and Rural Development Specialist with Chagas Barry Castle, and I'm joined on the line now by Barry. Very good evening to you, Barry. Good evening, Brian. If you could first of all start off by telling us what your role for Chagask actually involves and how it sort of um, helps farming communities into becoming more sustainable in terms of their, their activities on the farm. Yeah, well, Chagas is the Irish Agriculture and Food Development Authority, so we've, uh, I suppose, a broad reach in terms of agricultural research, advisory and education. So my main role is as a specialist in the area of rural development and renewable energy, I suppose, getting the information out to farmers about their options there in terms of uh, deploying renewable technologies on the farms. That could be technologies such as wind turbines, solar PV, it could be anaerobic digestion, those type of technologies and, and suppose there, they are diversification of sorts as well because in many countries across Europe you're seeing examples of where farmers are diversifying into these renewable technologies and they're actually able to make a business out of it, uh, a, a supplementary income to their, I suppose, their core enterprise uh, of their mainstream farming. So they've become energy farmers as well as livestock farmers or tillage farmers. And I suppose the other part of my job then is on the rural development side, helping farmers to I suppose, create enterprises and think differently because farmers have very valuable assets. They have their land, they have their buildings. And very often they've done, and most farmers would have done as what their grandfathers and great-grandfathers did with the land is maybe if they keep sheep or keep do tillage or milk cows. It tends to be the kind of tradition that passes on. But I suppose with those assets, Brian, as well, you should be really looking at, is there something else that you could be doing? Especially nowadays, can you be innovative, diversify, look at something different to do with those assets to turn uh, an alternative income? And so that's what we'd be encouraging farmers to do through our options program. And I would, that's something I'd be involved in coordinating around the country is our options program. And we call it the farm business options. So there are courses that are run generally in the back end of the year, around from September or after the Thailand Championships. And they'd be courses that would be run in local offices, maybe in hotels and regions, Chagas regions around Ireland. To encourage, we, and we run them with the local enterprise offices. 
trying to encourage farmers maybe to look at their assets and maybe think of a business planning and uh, around uh, maybe looking at an alternative enterprise and uh, just as supposed to think it out and plan it out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that, that it says on, on the website is that obviously, you know, enc- encouraging farmers to think outside the box is a huge part of what you guys do. But I suppose the first question that I'd ask is about that word encouragement. Do you find that farmers need a lot of encouragement to start thinking outside the box or do you feel that they're acutely aware of their responsibilities in terms of creating more sustainable options for farm life? Yeah, I suppose, look, sustainability is a, has a broad reach. You know, you have economic sustainability and you have social sustainability and financial sustainability is, is, is very, very important there and environmental sustainability is a, is a third part of the, of the stool there that, that is all very, very important. But farmers, I suppose, are, I suppose, acutely aware that we need to be more sustainable. We need to be doing more in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions within the agricultural sector and maybe helping other sectors to reduce emissions there as well and very often sustainability comes at a price and there needs to be I suppose it's, it's the same as us for our own uh, uh, domestic dwelling houses you know the cost of changing over to heat pumps can come at a price as well and it's not, a, it's not a, always affordable and affordable based on maybe the returns that's coming from the marketplace so that all has, it all has to be realistic as well if farmers are to invest in certain technologies be it you know so putting solar PV panels on the roofs of sheds to gen- generate electricity maybe export to the grid there needs to be supports in place to encourage all of that to happen. So yes, I suppose some of those supports are are getting are being put in place at the moment to encourage the deployment of, for example, renewable technologies. But maybe there's other areas where farmers are certainly looking into and trying to develop businesses around it. But diversification can be difficult, Brian, as well. It's not for the faint-hearted. And I suppose, I know recent Chagas research showed that if 1% of farmers diversify, that might be the height of it. Because, you know, there are risks, there are investments. And many farmers have taken the plunge before, maybe invested in a particular area, and maybe not realised the time implications, the labour implications, the employment requirements, the insurance requirements around certain projects. And were maybe left high and dry um, at it. And, you know, it, it could be a simple, simple thing that where maybe a farmer considered doing uh, lamping or camping or maybe uh, um, putting up log cabins and then realised they had young family and that they, that they weren't getting their summer holidays themselves to take the kids away during their holidays. So I suppose every project needs to be thought out uh, individually and there might be a certain time in someone's life when it's more appropriate yeah. uh, to, to take on a project as well. Because sustainability as you said very very intelligently is more than you know we're obviously talking about it at the moment from the point of view of the environmental sustainability of farming but a farm being sustainable well finance plays a huge role in that and after the break we'll touch on some of the grants that are available through Leader and, and things like that as well but I mean are, are they looking at different crops for example you know things like hemp or as you, you touched on agritourism there with the with the people having different pods laid out on the farms but is re- that repurposing of the land a, a large part of what the farming community is looking at at the moment yeah there's um, a, l- a lot of farmers looking into you mentioned hemp there a while ago that's that, that that's a crop that a lot of farmers are looking into and you know there's an industry that could be created out of that and i suppose hemp is um talked about right across Europe and um, there's opportunities there from in the food, the feed, the fuel, the fibre industry and I suppose all of those areas touch on what we refer to as the bioeconomy and this is where you can look at you know, multi-uses of a crop and that we just don't burn crops and that we 
look at opportunities of maybe extracting, you know, maybe food supplements out of it for CBD, which is in all the rage at the moment, can be purchased in most supermarkets and health stores around around the country. But there is an opportunity of producing that in the country. There can be legislative issues around, I suppose, the production of that in Ireland, which is to the in contention with many, I suppose, farmers and potential processors of of the of the hemp crops. But also, um, hemp could be used in the likes of, you know, the, the construction industry. You know, you can use hemp fibres, convert that into herds and shivs, which can be used to develop, um, you know, building block materials, which is uh, ca- which can replace concrete blocks uh, yep. in buildings. It can also be used for, you know, insulating our houses and our buildings, so we could use the fibres for doing that. So it is, it's a multi-use crop, but again, in order to do this, to do any diversification like this, I suppose farmers need to be, and or anyone who's trying to diversify, needs to, I suppose, work with the right innovative partners and need to, need to have the right people on board because it's not for the faint heart to take on a project whereby you're growing a crop and you're trying to bring it all the way to the market. Farmers do like structures. Yeah, yeah. You know, and structure, structures are there in place at the moment. You take your milk to the dairy and you get a price per litre. You bring your beef to the factory, you get a price per kilo. And there's the same with your grain, you get a price per tonne. And there's certain parameters determining that. Uh, might be protein content, moisture content, etc. Yeah. But well, those structures need to be put in place for any kind of a diversification activity or else if you're going to do this and grab it by the scruff of the neck, you need to be putting those structures in place with the right innovation partners by creating the markets and outlets for your product. Okay, well after the break we're going to take a short little break. Are you okay to stay with us for about 30 seconds because I'd love to talk to you about some of the structures that are available around those grants um, for start your own business courses yeah. and, and bits and pieces like that. That is uh, Barry Castlin from the Energy and Rural Development Specialist with Chagisk. Stay with us here, you're listening to Ecological with Brian Redmond on KCLR. Making sense of our impact on climate change. KCLR's Ecological in association with La Hart's Volkswagen. Discover the all-electric Volkswagen ID range at La Hart's Volkswagen.ie You're very welcome back to Ecological 25 past 6 here on KCLR we're talking to Barry Castle, Energy and Rural Development Specialist with um, Chagask Barry there's some, some fairly substantial grants available to people at the moment grants of up to 200,000 euros and free start your own business courses available for farmers who want to add value to their own farm you know those grants are from leader and be, can, can be used for you know diversification um, with grants of up to 30,000 euros to fund market research into potential products. Is there a big uptake in interest on those grants at the moment, Barry? Yeah, I think there is There is a, a lot of interest in it. Uh, sometimes there's hoops and loops you have to jump through to draw down any grant, Brian, as you can understand because money can't just be given out for, for uh, willy-nilly either. But uh, yeah, I think there are people who are more uh, as in tune with what grants are available, whether it's the leader grants, as you mentioned, and we'd always promote leader um, within Chagas as well because we think it's a I suppose one of the best ways of getting finance, uh, supplementary finance, to diversify uh, a particular business. And Leader have been great in this area the last number of years, right across the country. Uh, you know, and uh, as you say, this grants up to maybe it could be fifty percent of an investment ceiling, maybe of of two hundred thousand euro. So there, there are things that farmers could be certainly considering. And then I think training, and you mentioned that also, uh, training in the likes of the LEOs, the local enterprise office, it could be the start your own business course. And that it's that start your own business course. I think that is fundamental part of uh, anybody's grounding in developing a new business because. Sometimes you can be very, very good or expert in a particular area in your farm 
and you mightn't be expert in other areas. It might be marketing, it might be social media, it might be certain on finance and budgeting. By doing the Start Your Own Business course, that's how you can enhance your skills in that particular area. Yeah. And the LEOs are fantastic in running those courses. And also another area I, I would, and I'd recommend people to consider is their ETB, their Educational Training Board. If you go onto Google and Google your Educational Training Board in your local area, whether that's Kilkenny or Carlo or wherever that may be around the country, it's a fantastic resource of courses that are run right across your region. And it's amazing, you know, if it could be anything from hairdressing to carpentry to uh, language courses to business courses, computing courses, they're all on your doorstep as well. And there are, many of these courses are free of charge. And a fantastic opportunity for maybe a, a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew, or somebody who's considering doing something different, a, a diversification maybe on the farm, if they want to enhance their skills, give themselves that bit of confidence in terms of developing a new project, it might be doing a simple course. It might be the networking on a course like that. Now, granted, we didn't have much networking on courses over the last <laughs> two years, but uh, that's something that is hopefully going to is, ch- is starting to change now. We're seeing more people meeting and networking and talking to people who are also like-minded people who are trying to diversify as well. Yeah, because a large part of that diversification is going to be diversification in terms of your own knowledge and experience. A lot of people running farms who would have learned the traditions passed down from from parents and stuff like that. But if they're going to make those changes, they're going to need... It's in effect going to be a new business they're starting, so that training is hugely important. Barry Casson from Onchagas, thanks for joining us this evening on Ecological. The one thing I would say is also there is a huge amount of available information on Chagas's own website. So if there's anything that Barry's been talking about there that you do need to find out more about, I'm sure they'll find it all on that website Barry Pleasure Brian thank you very much Take care um, You're listening to Ecological 29 minutes past 6 o'clock in a couple of moments time I'll be talking to two people who are living the dream Rod and Julie Calder Potts of Highbank Farm in Kilkenny and Ambassadors for Farming for Nature will be joining us here on Ecological You're listening to KCLR's Ecological with Brian Redmond. In association with Lahart's Volkswagen, discover the all-electric Volkswagen ID range at lahartsvolkswagen.ie. Join us this St. Patrick's Day from 11.30am for a day of family fun. Enjoy live music and dance performances, free face painting, join our snake hunt and meet leprechauns Larry and Lucky. The celebrations continue all weekend with a slime making workshop, exhibition from the National Reptile Zoo and live performance from Lady Desert Choir. See Facebook for more details. Wake up. Wake up! It's Mattress Madness at Easy Living Furniture with up to 50% off all mattresses, pillows and mattress protectors. With 0% interest-free finance available for up to two years, now is the perfect time to gift yourself a better night's sleep with the mattress of your dreams. Speak to one of our sleep specialists today. Massive mattress sale now on with all mattresses reduced in Easy Living Furniture, Kilkenny Retail Park Kilkenny and Poppyfield Retail Park Clonmel. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Yeah, exactly half past six. You're listening to Brian Redmond here on Ecological on KCLR, our special series of shows looking at the environment, helping us all to learn a little bit more about the bits and pieces we can do to help out. Tonight, it's all about farming, and I'm joined in studio by Rod and Julie Calder-Potts of High Bank Farm. This dynamic duo 
and they've been very dynamic today. They've been all over the southeast today, just telling me off air there. Uh, they're prime examples of farmers who've diversified their own farm, creating an enterprise that is ecologically and economically viable. Both of them important. High Bank Farm has been producing organic apples uh, for the family since the 70s, and now their organic orchard supplies uh, supplies them all with artisan apple juice, apple syrup, apple cider vinegars, and much more. Almost all of which is produced on the farm. And they've joined us here this evening on Ecological. You're both very welcome into studio. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Rod, if I start with you, first of all, obviously, I've spoken to a couple of farmers. Our very own Matt O'Keefe, for example, from the Farm Show only a couple of weeks ago said to me, as a farmer, I am an environmentalist because there's a bit of a sort of feeling out there that, you know, farming is playing such a big role in causing the problems that we've got. But obviously, you've been involved in farming for quite a number of years now. Would you have classified yourself as an ecological sort of minded person before that became fashionable? Yeah, well, farmers are all individuals, I suppose, you know, and uh, the one thing that most farmers have got in common is that they absolutely love their farms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't love your farm and then uh, enjoy seeing it being degraded uh, by things like chemicals and so on. Um, so, no, I've, I've yet to meet a farmer who didn't have a deep respect for his farm. And, uh, you know, in this country, the farm is so much tied to the family as well. And all the family members have a, a great grow for the farm as well and put pressure on farmers to do the right thing. But the sad thing is that uh, farming has take, took a, a, a turn for the worst after the Second World War with the um, introduction of a lot of chemicals and went down a road that most farmers were very uncomfortable with and it's reached a crisis now where um, we, we have to sort of find a new way of turning back and reducing the chemicals and maybe understanding the farm a little bit more and remember you are part of nature yourself yeah <laughs> you have a right to be here mm. you know um, but how how, how much of a right you have to disrupt nature uh, is questionable. You know, uh, we have um, made extinct millions of species. Uh, well, they reckon about, yeah, I think I think approaching a million now species yeah. around the earth. Now that that's that's not just birds and animals, but uh, the environment also consists of microbes, fungi, all that kind of thing. And when you lash on chemicals. You know, you really disrupt this, these species as well, uh, tremendously. So yeah, we are guardians. I think most farmers regard themselves as guardians of their farms and are happy to do that as mm. stewards of the farms. Uh, but I think they f have felt up to now anyway that they uh, they're not getting enough support and, uh, and, and really enough information as to. Uh, how how they can help yeah. and what they can do. And Julie, fact, has they've been pushed the other way to 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 destroy their farm and destroy various parts of nature uh, against their wills, really. But they're just told you have to do this in order to. That's in terms of you know driving yield and all that type of stuff. And that's it, right. I remember years ago when we were growing black currants and we we had a, a crop of black currants almost ready to go. And our uh, contract, the guy who was buying the stuff, was Chivers at the time, mm. uh, told us we must spray our, our black currants with uh, uh, a chemical yeah, to yeah. kill um, to kill uh, snails, small snails. Yeah. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. Why, how can I do that? Uh, it'll kill all the earthworms as well. And the earthworms are essential to the soil. And they said, look, Rod, um, 
do it or uh, find another market for your blackcurrants. This is happening to everybody, you know. Julie, has the farm always been organic in terms of what it produced or, or, or did that some, was that something that you evolved into? Okay, the farm is uh, Rod's is on the farm for five generations, and basically in the sixties they were producing six six hundred seven hundred tons of apples chemically, yeah, and were the first to grow hops in Ireland, all that type of thing. So no is the answer. It was about thirty six years ago we stopped actually spreading chemicals on the farm totally. And was that a huge challenge, Rod, initially in terms of? getting used to farming without chemicals. I mean, there's obviously techniques that can be used to create very high yields that are not using those chemicals, but it must have been a huge learning curve for yeah, you at the time. We were we were pretty well venturing it into the unknown uh, because, uh, you see, there are two ways of farming. With chemicals, what you're doing is you're putting your crop into sort of intensive care whereby you're killing all the microbes, you're killing all the insects, and uh, you're, taking, you're, you're taking responsibility for, for doing that, which means you've got to apply, in, in, uh, with the apples, now you need to apply chemicals uh, at least once every two weeks, yeah. sometimes once every two or three days. So what you've actually done is you've sterilized your whole farm. Mm. So when you stop, as we did, using chemicals of a slap yeah. in, in 1986, um, the farm has no defense. Okay. Trees have no defensive mechanisms because the way nature takes care of your apple trees is that there's a buildup of microbes and fungi and so much on the plant that live in a symbiosis with the plant. And they actually protect the plant, believe it or not, against the very few malign forces. You know, like there are a few uh, fungi and a few... Um, uh, uh, insects that are really malign. So when you're talking, it sort of brings connotations to me of the human body, of, Very, of uh, loading, constantly loading, for example, antibiotics into the yeah. human body to deal with, uh, in some cases, complaints that might require them. But the overuse of antibiotics is causing problems with our own ability and our own immune system to be able to fight you know, other types of infections. Yeah, you're absolutely on the ball there. That's exactly, there's a very, very close analysis. So when we, when we went back to not using chemicals, we had no probiotic that we knew of. And also nature, nature's dynamic uh, in a farm. You know, there's not a point, for example, on an apple farm where you'd say, now it's perfect, stop. This is the way the farm should be. These are the microbes that should be there. You know, you could have a hot summer or a wet winter and it changes the balance of the farm. That's nature. Yeah, that's nature. So that's the way it's moving on. You've done a lot more than that in terms of just going organic, Julie. You've also built, I believe, a couple of lakes on the farm and, and in, in, in increased the amount of forestry, for example. That's obviously stuff that's happened over the years or has it been sort of fairly condensed into the last five to ten years? We're a small farm. Okay, but we need water, we need insects, we need um, bees, we have 14 hives, um, we have native bees, we have uh, wild bees, but by uh, building uh, water systems on the actual farm, uh, I'm sure your previous speaker was say about rejuvenating farms and biodiversity, it brings that in and you'd be amazed at how many actual uh, flowers fauna as well as fauna come in because you've got water systems there and that 
okay, you're putting a bit of land underneath it, but the benefits are enormous if yeah. you've water on it. Now, some farms naturally have it, streams running through it, but most don't. And did you have to create that yourself? You didn't have that too much naturally? No, we didn't have it, so we actually created two big lakes, which are great fun as well. They must be nice to look at oh, as well. Oh, they are great, and, uh, recreationally. But also what's in- interesting for, you know, uh, the I don't know if you know the plant with the big, uh, it's a big brown bushy bit at the top. <laughs> we get masses of those, right? <laughs> like bulrushes. Yeah. And we didn't plant those. They came in on birds' feet. Yeah. You know, we're forever having to cut the, the damn things down, <laughs> but there you are. Uh, but it's uh, but the benefits are enormous. We've got mayflies, the bats as well, yeah. because they need water, swallows, swifts, all that sort of different levels. And in fact, otters one year, we had an immense amount of otters that decided to descend and take everything that was in the lake. Well, that goes back to that point of harmony again, it isn't does it? They all bit, find yeah. in their own harmony and their balance. <laughs> Talk to me about the harmony you have when you have visitors come to the farm, because you welcome a huge amount of visitors from near and far, and you, you run farm walks and you do events and talks and workshops throughout the year was that something let me ask you this question excuse the pun that happened organically or was it something (laughs) that you set out to try and create absolutely organically i mean uh people ask us why we process we process everything we grow everything we grow we process we don't import either um so basically uh you need to survive so it's survival, really, and by inviting people in and doing tours, you get a different revenue st- stream, but we're also slowly slowly asked to do it by schools. By ver- We actually had, pre-COVID, we had groups from students from agricultural college in America, and we have Japanese people that come to actually see the methods that we're using. Uh, so that's fun, too. And Rod, the one thing I can feel from the two of you, um, which is really nice, I have to say, is that actually your love of the land and your love of the farm completely overrides the economic values and we'll talk about you know how you've you've increased the economic value of the farm and you know the things that you're doing now that you might have been doing differently um years ago but i definitely get a sense of as you said at the top of the interview that your main priority is your love of the land and your love of your farm yeah no well you've got to <clears throat> you've got to survive um uh, you've got to get a balance of uh, of enough, you know, what's enough and uh, greed and so on. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest challenges uh, at the moment is, is you know, the economy, money is ending up in a few people's hands and a lot of young people are struggling to buy houses and so on. So we're going on to a different, <laughs> a different thing. Here yeah, but I was trained uh, as an airline pilot. Uh, and I would have had to uh, live in London, uh, trained by British Airways, and I rejected that because basically I, I wanted to live in the country and I wanted a, mm. the sort of simple, exciting life. Yeah, rather than the difficult, exciting life of being an airline pilot. Well, it's not that exciting. It's 99% boredom and 1% panic. (laughs) I'd prefer to be there when you're bored, to be quite honest with you, I think, rather than panicking. So talk to me about how how High Bank have developed. You've brought a fabulous bottle of your own organic apple juice into us. We'll have to fight over that myself and Ethna before we go go home. Uh, Maybe we'll we'll, we'll share it before we leave. But you're also um, producing your own gins, speciality gins and stuff Um, like that now as well. Here we go from the essential. You've got a crop in the field, and this would be one of our pet things when people come to visit. We say, Look at what you've got be it dairy, be it tillage, be it whatever it is. 
you can process that into the next stage and add value to what you're producing. And that's what we intended to do because by selling our crop to, now it's, it's no reflection on it, but into the likes of Bulmers in our case, uh, it's not going to work because it's too small a, a check that's going to survive on small farms. If small farms in Ireland are going to survive, they have to produce butter, yogurt, cheese we can do this in grain we can do all different types of our lovely traditional grains which are now grown in Kilkenny let's add value to what we're doing and the people which you were talking about earlier the lovely Leos and leaders will support you and help you going forward and um, you've got obviously some great you're supplying Mount Juliet Estate example for some speciality gins they must be very very high quality products if you've got them in there well, an apple can do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first thing it does is, is make apple juice, which are there, but it also makes wonderful cider, yeah. uh, which we've several awards for. Uh, but um, the cider can also be turned to alcohol, and we have the smallest legal distillery on site, and we basically make apple alcohol. And from that, we can make our beautiful brandy, which is unique. It's a lovely apple brandy. And I've heard, uh, of, I've heard, I've heard of apple brandy, but I'd never heard of apple gin. No, no. Well, you see, it's from the apple that the, you get the neat alcohol. Rod will run you through the, the process there if you want. But uh, we do a lot of corporates, uh, gins. It's not... Um, Juliet came to us and, again, our wonderful chefs. I'm a total chef groupie. I think they're just incredible people <laughs> for food. Without them, our artisan food guys wouldn't be there. Um, they they know about tastes and flavours, so they design the gins flavours for us and we we experiment and Rod, and Rod tests them Rod tests them <laughs> and makes the alcohol for them so Moongate gin which is Mount Juliet's gin took two nearly two years to develop okay. with the chefs yeah. so did Brook Lodge so did Delphi so did Avoya which is seaweed gin you know all of these are small batch gins uh, which are a pleasure to work with these guys who really know what to mix with what and what uh, temperatures you know and things so well great. I have to say I think you know you guys uh and the farm itself are a perfect example of what we're trying to talk about here this evening, which is, A, farmers who love their farm and love the environment, and with a little bit of help, a little bit of guidance, a little bit of assistance, can possibly farm in more more sustainable ways. We'll use that word again. Rod, what would be your biggest hope for farming in Ireland going forward over the next 15 to 20 years? Oh gosh, I don't know if it's going to be such huge disruptions now with the, uh, um, you know, with the Ukrainian thing there, the, the grain basket of uh, of the world, really. Uh, so presumably there's going to be big changes in... And do you, and you think maybe farmers who are thinking about moving away from grain might second-guess that now and sort of say, well, grain prices are going to be big? Listen, I know nothing about grain, so I don't want to sit here in the middle of this tremendous grain county and tell people what to do <laughs> and so on. You know. uh, I grow a little bit of oats. Uh, I grow for a fabulous local company called Flahavens yep. who pay um, an honest price for a decent product and are hugely supportive. Uh, if there were more Flahavens in the you know around it would be absolutely wonderful. You know they produce a tremendous product. They encourage the growers to get on with it and uh, and and you know sort of give us as much help as they can. Um, I know that we uh, we we struggled at first to get the apple thing right. Uh, we are now producing with we send zero money to the chemical companies. We put on no fertilizer at all. 
Thankfully, I mean, with the way fertiliser prices are going, that's going to cost an absolute fortune as well. Yeah, and we have been, uh, we've been noticed, you know. We got some Japanese um, people came to see us, they, they, and they've, they've encouraged us. They're actually buying our product. They're a Buddhist um, group uh, called Shumai outside Kyoto, and they actually take our stuff all the way to... Uh, to serve from their their temple and they've given us tremendous guidance and they persuaded us for example uh, to go further than we had even had the courage to do we were putting putting muck on onto the orchard they told us to stop doing that <laughs> we were terrified so we 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 said well i think you guys are crazy but you've come halfway around the world uh, to tell us to do this so just out of courtesy to you we'll give it a whirl on a few rows of apples yeah and we did it and within a couple of years it became apparent that they're absolutely right yeah. uh, around about the time of the 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 rugby world cup you know, I rang Hirohito up and I said, Hiro, will you stop praying for our apples? The, <laughs> the branches are bloody well breaking. Pray for our rugby team. <laughs> but I think he must have prayed for Japan because... They <laughs> did a fabulous job. <laughs> I have to say, as I said, I'm sure it's a lot of hard work running any farm, you know, and, and, and particularly a farm as that's been run as conscientiously as your own is. But it does sound idyllic. I mean, when I read about it, when I talk to you guys, <laughs> I sort of think about, God, I'd, I'd love to pop down during the summer and have a little visit. It, it yeah, absolutely sounds visit, absolutely visit, sounds yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, many, many, many years of continued success to you both. Um, I know farm succession and everything else is a huge thing, but I mean, I'm sure you know you guys have set an example for 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 all farmers all over the counties of Kilkenny and Carlow and, and indeed nationwide. And as I said, if you want to check out their products, I'm sure you'll find them in Mount Juliet, as we've mentioned, and probably many other places as well. But uh, thank online. you very online. What's the website? www.highbankorchards.com is that a terrible ad isn't it absolutely that's another <laughs> example if we've got a second or two Mount Juliet worked with us you know yeah. they came to us and said look we know about flavours you know about making alcohol let's design a gin and their gin is if, you've not, if you're interested in gins go to Mount Juliet I'm not allowed to sell it <laughs> and ask them for a gin and, well uh, listen it's been a pleasure talking to you give us that website again once more you might as well do two ads highbankorchards.com highbankorchards.com Thank you very much to Rod and Julie Collarpots for joining us here on this evening's edition of Ecological. Carlo Kilkenny, KCLR. You're very welcome back to Ecological here on KCLR. It's coming up on 10 to 7. Of course, after 7 o'clock, the farm show is on with Matt O'Keefe and Martin Bridgman will be here as well. And it would be completely rude and remiss of me not to invite Matt to come in and join us this evening for a little bit of a chat. Matt, you're very welcome along. Thank you very much. What do, you think, what do you think of a Jackie and who knows absolutely no difference from one end of a shovel to the other talking about farming? Well, if that's the case, you're certainly able to bluff it, Brian. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> listen, I mean... I, I, listen, I, I, was, I couldn't help listening to the Calder Post there. Aren't they marvellous? Exceptional. I mean, the, the, the entrepreneurship. But, I mean, that's what entrepreneurship is, isn't it? It's exceptional people. Not everyone can do it. Not every bricky needs or wants to be a builder. So, you know... No, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of the... I, I think... I actually think in terms of all of the f industries out there that probably need to diversify and become more sustainable when I think about it, the more and more I think about it I think farming is a big challenge ahead of them but probably best set because farmers 
are entrepreneurs. Farmers are um, adaptable. They have to be. So it's a huge challenge to face, but I think all the skill sets are there. What's the feeling within the community as a whole? Do you feel like you're being picked on when it comes to, to uh, that there, sort of there, there, there is that perception among some farmers, but most farmers are willing to change because they've always been uh, willing to change. Otherwise, they wouldn't have survived over the, the, the years and indeed the centuries, you know. And they've always been uh, adoptees. Some the pioneering ones would have been early adopters of new technologies and uh, those that came after them then would have been the mainstream. For instance, the, the Economic Breeding Index, which is a, a measurement of the, the breed quality of uh, cattle, of specifically of dairy cattle, that's been widely adopted over the last 20 years and, you know, it, that kind of technology didn't exist for previous generations. So that shows that farmers are willing and able to adopt the kind of practical technologies that will deliver a return. And what's the biggest challenge you think you're going to face? I mean, I don't even know what you farm, excuse me for that. I don't know whether you're involved in livestock or whether you're involved in crops. But talking about you, first of all, as an individual farmer, before talking about the community as a whole, what do you feel is the biggest challenge you're going to face? Well, again, previously we would have been involved in crops and growing uh, wheat and barley, as well as having a a herd of cows going back over 100 years. My grandfather was uh, a founding member of the then Kilkenny Co-op back in, uh, I think, 1960. So, you know, there's a tradition of dairy farming there. So does that, let me ask you a very direct question then. Yes or no, does the herd need to be reduced? The national herd? No, not at all. No. No, I don't. I, do, I don't believe that that's an answer. I think it's a crude um, method of... Um, in, in, enforcing the kind of regulations that are there around the environment and the kind of uh, decreases in methane and carbon that are required across all of the economy, not just farming. I, I think there are far more um, positive ways of doing it. New technologies coming, uh, in, in, well, including I, such well, basic ones as how to spread slurry so that none of it gets uh, vaporised into the air. You know, those are practical technologies. But can you offset adopted. enough of what you need to do without reducing the national herd? Yes. Help. Yes, absolutely. Well, the, the 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 minimum target at the moment is a 22% reduction before 2030. Uh, I, I, adopting existing technologies will reduce, will get us down to 18%. Okay, and so the new technologies that are coming through, including the kind of feed additives that uh, that uh, make the cow belch less, let's put it that way. <laughs> just to put Gaviscon. <laughs> yes, Gaviscon, Gaviscon. Uh, and, and, and still uh, leave her as an economic entity, you know, that she, she milks away, but uh, she'll, she'll belch less. Those are, those are in, in research at the moment, and a couple of them are actually coming into commercial use. Now, the key is that most of those are, are, are developed for herds that are locked indoors 24-7, all year round. For an Irish cow that's out grazing the whole time, you have to bring the technology a little bit further. In other words, for instance, if they could develop a a long-acting bolus that can be put in the cow's stomach and released over a period. It's there for minerals. There there are slow-release minerals that the cow uh, will uh, take up over a period of several months. If you can do the same thing with those kind of methane-suppressing technologies then it's a game changer because you can actually reduce each cow's emissions by up to 30%. So, you know, it's a, it, the time is needed, but not an awful lot of time. Over the next three or four years, I think you're going to see huge developments which will solve the problems without crudely just killing off cows. Okay, so meat, meat consumption then, right? Because I was looking at some figures a couple of weeks back. Meat consumption in the US is going through the roof. It's absolutely magnified. I think it's tenfold in the last 15 years or something like that. And the trends here in Ireland, and probably most of the European um, bloc, are, are tending to follow them. That's not sustainable, though, because, I mean, if we've got this 22% reduction in carbon to try and create 
in terms of how we're dealing with methane from the cows. If we double or triple our meat consumption, yeah, and I think you're, and, you're snooker and, then, aren't and you? And I think the big demands uh, for 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 meat are coming from regions and countries that wouldn't heretofore have used meat as a protein. Yeah. Um, they aspire to Western lifestyles, I suppose you might say. The amount of meat being eaten per capita in Europe pretty much as it was or going down slightly over 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 the years. So either you tell people in China for instance or Malay or wherever that uh, no you can't aspire to a western lifestyle that uh, we're not going to allow you to eat meat or else uh, you develop we all means do our bit. Hmm? or else we all do our bit or else we all do our bit and I, 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 it's like moderation it's like Oscar Wilde moderation in everything of course he also said including moderation but that's, <laughs> that was only an aside you know I, 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 I don't think uh, any of us uh, should be eating more of any food than uh, is, is, is part of a good balanced diet and that includes meat it includes vegetables includes grains yeah. you know eating meat at every single meal of the day not a good idea but eating vegetables alone in my opinion isn't a good idea either because it leads to imbalances well I've tried both in fairness about two years ago I tried going vegan for three months and do you know what <laughs> wasn't for me no, and a lot of people actually are, are get short of vitamin B12 and that and have to get injections and ah, all no, kinds no, of don't supplements be going, and don't things. Be, I mean, you see, now no, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Bit, it can yeah. work. It, yeah. But like, if you have to engage in all kinds of medical interventions to make it happen, <laughs> that's not natural <laughs> either. Taking supplements are hardly medical interventions. I mean, it's all about how it's phrased, isn't it? I suppose it is. <laughs> well, listen, I'd love to have more time with you. I'd say we could knock heads together for quite a while and have a bit of crack at it at the same time, but I've got to love you and leave you because the farm show is coming up after the news at seven. What have you got on for us this evening? Glanbia announced, the PLC announced uh, stellar results. We'll be speaking to Larkin Allen of the Sunday Business Post about that. And there's a major new initiative on wellness, uh, health wellness uh, being organised in North Kilkenny by Leader, Chagisk, uh, Trinity College is involved and a number of other organisations. They're rounding up, if you'll pardon the phrase, <laughs> uh, about 100 farmers to engage in this over a year or a year and a half. Uh, just to... to, to, to minimise isolation, minimise stress and so on and so forth. It's a great initiative. We'll be chatting to Connor Clear and Michael Summers about that. Well, listen, Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'd uh, love to have more time with you and maybe we'll get a chance to do it at some point in the future. That's Matt O'Keefe. The Farm Show is coming up after the news at 7 o'clock. I've got to love you and leave you, but I'll be back with you next Thursday on Ecological. Making sense of our impact on climate change. KCLR's Ecological, in association with La Hart's Volkswagen. Discover the all-electric Volkswagen ID range at La Hart's Volkswagen.ie